Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thyroid health and running performance is our topic today. Did you know that one in eight women will develop a thyroid condition in their lifetime and many are unaware of their symptoms? So today what we'd like to do is raise your awareness of what you may do nutritionally to support thyroid health and also introduce you to how subclinical thyroid function may be impacting on your running performance. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Aileen, and I'm here again with Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi, everybody. Hi, Aileen. Great to be here once again. Lovely. So we're going to talk about um, thyroid today. uh, But before we do that, let's start with sharing something personal um, about our nutritional running, which we usually do in these episodes. So, um, Karen, um, I just wondered, you know, if if there's anything you'd be willing to share um, regarding your own health uh, that you have to manage for running performance, uh, whether it be thyroid or otherwise. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. Well, regarding thyroid function, not that I'm aware of, um, but as we will discuss later, probably, you know, it may be that I've got a mild subclinical dysfunction that I'm completely unaware of. And also, uh, my mum does suffer from hypothyroidism. So I could be more susceptible to it. So maybe there's something there and I'm not aware of it. But regarding other health conditions, Well, I don't have a formal diagnosis of any conditions. However, I have to say I do need to manage my digestive health around my training. And that's mainly because, you know, I can be prone to urgency to go when I'm running. And also I can get tummy cramps and flatulence as well. And and I tend to manage this quite well, actually, through my nutrition and my hydration. And, And sort of through trial and error, I've managed to find what works for me and I think this is really um, uh, an approach that all of us would 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 need to think about and consider when it comes to digestive symptoms when running and digestive health and also it, it 
It is why we always stress the importance of practicing food strategies and training so that we really feel confident with our food choices on race day. But it is a case of um, trial and error. And I seem to have trialed, errored a few times and find what works for me. But how about you, Aileen? Do do you have to manage any health conditions or concerns linked to, to your running that you're willing to share? Yeah, well, a bit like you. I mean, it's nothing that's a medical diagnosis, but I definitely, you know, do suffer with uh, blood sugar balance issues. And it's it's more of an underlying condition, but I, I'm very carb sensitive. So if I was to eat a high carb meal, it would really trigger jittery feelings, which is not what you want when you're on a run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, Or at any time, to be honest, because it's not a very pleasant feeling. Um, so I do have to be really careful about what carbs I eat. And um, so eating carbs only without protein um, causes me issues. And that sort of goes against the, the general advice about you know, only eating quick release carbohydrates to pre-fuel a run or, or during a run. Um, so I have to manage it in different ways. So what I tend to do, I, I like running early in the morning. So when I'm doing short runs, I'll do it in the fasted state. And that seems to work fine for me. So I don't have to worry about pre-fueling for those uh, shorter runs. And um, when I'm doing longer runs, I will still eat carbs um, in the proportion that I, you know, that I need to, but I'll also make sure that I have some protein along with it. And I tend to have, um, you know, an oat-based breakfast, but I'll have a scrambled egg as well. And that just small amount of protein um, seems to help keep me balanced. And um, and a scrambled egg is easy to digest. I'm fortunate I don't have any digestive issues. Um, so I seem to digest my food fine and I don't have to wait too long before I go out for a run so that works well for me and then um, during the long runs um, you know over the years I've tried using gels I don't like them they don't work for me they again it seems to be I get too much carb too quickly and then that causes me all sorts of problems Um, so what I tend to use is module dates um, and I've talked about this before in other episodes but um you know, I'll, I'll I'll use that because that seems to just, I don't know whether it's because it's real food, it takes slightly longer to digest, but it digests fast enough to give me the, the glucose that I need. And sometimes I'll put a tiny little amount of nut butter inside them um, just for a little bit of protein. So again, that sort of slows down that glucose going into my system, but gives me what I need. Mm-hmm. Um so it's a little bit thickly, but I, I prepare them ahead. I wrap them in greaseproof uh, or baking parchment and uh, just put them in my, my bum bag and that, that helps. Um, so, yeah, um, that, that's my sort of main thing that I would manage regarding running. Um, with regards to hypothyroidism, I mean, this is a really common condition and um, I do have some symptoms that relate to that condition, uh, predominantly you know, weight gain, I'm always managing my weight and I gain weight very easily. And I also have really, really cold feet any time of the year. Sometimes my feet are, in fact, I've just been to a Pilates class and while I was on the reformer, I was thinking, you know, it's a really hot day today and my feet are freezing. Um, so they're classic, you know, thyroid signs. Um, but I've never had a test. I've never asked for a diagnosis. Uh, but I do work with a lot of clients who come to me with other issues 
And then part of the health history is, oh, yes, I've got hyperthyroidism. So I know it's something that affects a lot of lots of people mm. so, so yeah that's what's going on with me Karen yes, yes. Okay. so we both have to manage things during our during our running but they're just different different sort of yeah and I think that's normal life isn't it Karen I mean I think a lot of people do have conditions don't they and that's one of the reasons that we talk about um running with health conditions you know, you know how you live and manage those health conditions as a runner and um, hopefully you know we're able to give you some nutrition tips that could support your general health so that the symptoms aren't as severe uh, as well as you know promoting your your running performance and so whenever we're doing these episodes we're always thinking about that you know and you might be thinking well I don't have a thyroid issue but you might do one day and so knowing about these things could help and putting them into place can help uh, minimize or prevent you developing these symptoms absolutely or like you were saying alien it could be that some people have got some of the symptoms of um thyroid dysfunction but they're not aware that there are symptoms of that so haven't got a diagnosis yeah i mean i think in my condition i, I probably do have hyperthyroidism but because i'm a healthy person and i live a healthy life it's managed the medication yeah yeah anyway well let's move on and talk about today's topic which we said is all about thyroid health and running performance and um as we said earlier it's a very predominant um health condition and there's statistics in the u.s um which indicate approximately 20 million people have some form of thyroid dysfunction uh, but at least 60 percent of those people are unaware that they have that condition mm-hmm. um, we also thought that women um are approximately between five and ten percent more likely than men to develop a thyroid condition during their life and it's thought that um one in eight women will develop a thyroid issue in their lifetime so you know, as we said earlier, it's a very common condition. Uh, and per capita, the figures are thought to be similar in the UK. Uh, quite phenomenal figures. Um, so, And that's really why we thought it would be an interesting topic to discuss, especially, you know, as our listeners are women, uh, they might, might be at a higher risk of developing a thyroid condition. Um, so today what we're going to do is give you an outline um, and an understanding of the thyroid gland and its function. And then we'll go on to discuss thyroid dysfunction and its impact on running performance and finally we're going to highlight some nutrition and lifestyle factors uh, that you can adopt to support thyroid health um so karen let's let's get on to talk about thyroid glands and uh, most people be will be aware that the thyroid glands produce and secrete thyroid hormone um, but it would be great karen if you could just give us a bit more detail about the thyroid and how it's it works, what it's um, what it's doing with regards to hormone production and secretion. Yeah, sure, really. Now we'll try and and, and keep it simple because these things are never really simple. But I'll do my best. Um, but basically, the thyroid itself, the thyroid gland, is a, a butterfly shaped endocrine gland. And what I mean by that is that it secretes hormones, and it sits on the front of the the neck, just below the Adam's apple. And it's actually made up of two lobes which lie on either side of the windpipe and are joined by a small bridge of what's known as um, thyroid tissue. 
and that's called the isthmus. And each lobe really is about the size of a plum that's been cut in half. So that kind of gives you an idea of the size of it in your in your sort of neck area. And the thyroid gland makes two different hormones um, that it then secretes into the bloodstream. And the two hormones are thyroxine, which is commonly known as T4, and probably what we'll be saying as we move through um, um, the conversation. And the other one is triiodothyronine, which is um, known as T3. And what happens is the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland, both which are located in the, the brain. Now, they're the master regulators of the whole endocrine system throughout the body. Um, and, and they are controlling all hormone production. But regarding thyroid hormone production, the hypothalamus sends instructions to the pituitary gland um, by releasing um, what's known as thyrotropin releasing hormone or TRH. So the hypothalamus releases this TRH. And it sends the, the instructions to the pituitary gland, which in turn sends instructions to the thyroid gland via another hormone known as thyroid stimulating hormone. And that does exactly what it says. Um, it stimulates the thyroid to then produce and release the T3 and the T4. So that's basically how the system works, Aileen. Right, that's really helpful and concise, Karen. Thank you. Um, just another thing to add here is that this cascade of the hormone production is regulated by something called the negative feedback loop. And what, what that means is when circulating levels of thyroid hormones are high, the hypothalamus will decrease its production of the um, the TRH, which in turn decreases the pituitary production of the TSH, so that will inhibit the production of T3 and T4. And then conversely, when circulating levels are low, the opposite effect takes place. So the hypothalamus signals to the pituitary to stimulate thyroid production. Um, so um, it's a way of regulating that you've got enough uh, hormones circulating. Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, Aileen, so the thyroid gland normally secretes roughly about 20% of the body's T3 hormone, but all of the internally produced um, T4. And what happens is that T4 is then converted to the more metabolically active T3 at tissue level. Um, and that's done throughout the body by a series of different enzymes. And they've all got very convoluted names, so I'm not going to go into it here. But that's just sort of um, an idea of how much of the different thyroid hormones the thyroid gland actually produces. Right. Thank you. So we're, so far, we've established that you know, how the thyroid works. And um, I suppose the next logical step would be to think about what the T4 and T3 hormones do, uh, what do they do in our bodies. And as you said, there's there's lots of different functions. So I think, you know, because we're runners, we're going to concentrate on the ones that will directly or indirectly affect a runner and their running performance. Um, so the one that's the, the first one really that springs to mind for me is the metabolic rate. Um, so, you know, most people will be aware that, um, it, you know, these hormones are, are 
really important in maintaining metabolic rate. And this is something that we've discussed in previous episodes. So um, if you're interested in a, a bit more of a deep dive, you could go back and listen to episode 32, which was food for metabolism. Um, so the hormones, these hormones that we're talking about control metabolism, uh, which is the way in which the body uses energy. And it does that by regulating the speed in which the body cells work. So, you know, one analogy is thinking about bodies being a car and the thyroid hormones as, as the engine. Um, and increased metabolic rate really equates to increased body heat production. Um, so that's the, you know, one of the main functions. Another function to think about would be energy expenditure. So, um, we're, what we're doing here is regulating the rate at which the energy is burned and that can therefore affect weight loss or weight gain, which is, you know, very much related to metabolism as well. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, um, the, these hormones are involved in cardiac function, so they can help to slow down or speed up the heart rate. Um, they're also known to increase heart muscle um, contraction and and cardiac output and they're also also known to promote promote vasodilation so that's the widening of of blood vessels which leads to enhanced blood flow to the organs so some quite key functions really that the thyroid is involved in there Karen Um, are there any others that you would um, highlight yeah absolutely you know like we were saying there are so many of them but sort of linking it still to to the runner I'm thinking about fat metabolism so the thyroid hormones here um enhance the utilization of fatty acids in lots of different tissues um and are also linked to plasma concentrations of cholesterol and triglycerides so for example when thyroid hormones are low there is an increase in blood cholesterol concentration and in fact this increased cholesterol level is one of the diagnostic features of hypothyroidism so they've just noted this increase in cholesterol um, when um, the the thyroid gland is suboptimal, but it's also um, these these hormones are also linked to carbohydrate ma- metabolism as well. Um, they actually stimulate almost all aspects of carbohydrate metabolism, including enhancing. So to that movement of glucose into cells and also the increased gluconeogenesis, which is when um, proteins are being used to produce energy. And also the glycogenolysis, which is when um, you have the conversion of that stored glycogen to generate free glucose in the in the blood. So really key in our and our um, energy producing um, nutrients, our macronutrients. But also just thinking um, briefly about the central nervous system, sort of both decreased and increased concentrations of thyroid hormone um, tend to lead to alterations in mental state. So, you know, too little thyroid hormone um um, and individuals tend to feel mentally sluggish, whilst too much can induce anxiety and nervousness in the individual as well. So, so those are how the the 
the thyroid hormones affect the central nervous system. And then just thinking about muscle, um, muscle the thyroid hormones are needed for um, skeletal muscle development, but also for their contraction and their regeneration. So really powerful uh, within muscle. So, um, yeah. So yeah, those that's, wow. that's amazing, really. It's sort of um, making me think I need to pay more attention to my thyroid, really, and love mm-hmm. it a bit more because it's doing yeah. such an amazing job, isn't it? It's quite yeah. incredible. Uh, and another couple of um, functions that are popping into my mind, Karen, is the the, the way that thyroid, thyroid hormones regulate bone formation and, and degradation degradation so that bone turnover which again and a mineral bone mineral density which again we've talked about in previous episodes um so you really need normal or optimal thyroid hormone levels um to maintain optimal bone strength so that these things are interlinked um and then there's body temperature so that the thyroid hormones can raise or lower body temperature and they regulate body temperature by increasing the available energy in the body so again it's linked to energy expenditure as well as increasing appetite pulse the amount of oxygen that's delivered to different body parts and 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 fat build up um and then finally thyroid hormones are working together with the nervous system in order to maintain body temperature so they really are uh integral to just so many different functions aren't they yeah absolutely alien and and actually just before we move on to sort of look at the the thyroid dysfunction in runners i just really wanted to mention here that there are tests that can be carried out to determine thyroid hormone levels to see if you're within range or outside of the ranges and we won't discuss them here um because it would take too long however We will post the list in the show notes for everybody. And the standard ranges for thyroid hormones are what would be determined when a test is carried out, say, by your GP or some other medical services. Um, But in functional medicine, which is the approach that we use, you you tend to be working more at optimal levels. And we think that that these optimal levels are best practice. So we will list those reference ranges um, as well for you. But also just to add here that in functional medicine, it is also um, really good practice and tends to happen, actually, where we test for reverse T3 as well. Now, reverse T3 is the inactive form of the bioactive T3, but it is very rarely taste, uh, tested for by GPs or in hospitals or anything. But it can really help determine how much of the bioavailable thyroid hormone there is, because the more reverse T3 there is, the less there's going to be of that um, bioactive T3. So a really good one to test as well. So I just thought I'd add that in there, Aileen. Yeah, yeah. So if you are interested in those ranges, pop over to the show notes and uh, you'll see them listed there. And, and also just to mention, we, we always write a blog after each um, episode. So if you like to read rather than just listen, you can check out either the show notes or pop over to our website and you'll find, um, you know, a, a written description of what we've been talking about today which might be helpful okay so um so far we've we've highlighted the function of the thyroid gland uh which is to produce the thyroid hormones t4 and t3 and then we've looked at the important function of these hormones for runner so predominantly bone health cardiac health 
uh, muscle function and of course metabolism. Um, so let's now focus on what happens when the thyroid gland is working suboptimally and the implication that that has on a runner's performance. Uh, and just to give you an understanding of thyroid dysfunction, basically it's when the thyroid gland releases an inappropriate level of thyroid hormones, either too much, which might be, um, you might know of a term of, of hyperthyroidism or too little, which is hypothyroidism. Um, and there's many different causes of thyroid dysfunction. So predominantly, as I said, they, they fall into two categories. So if we look at hypofunction hypo to begin with, and, and this is the one that I think is most common. You know, that's the, what I noticed, Karen. I don't know whether you do, but, you know, from the majority of clients, they, they would you know, report hypofunction rather. Um, so that's when the thyroid gland is failing in some way. And it could be uh, due to, you know, some serious issues. It could be that you've maybe had your thyroid removed, that you know, or part of your thyroid removed. You might have had radiation for certain conditions. Uh, maybe you're suffering from an autoimmune um, condition. Um, so some people have... Um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is the an autoimmune version of um, thyroid um, condition, you might find that um, the reason for hypofunction is that there's insufficient thyroid gland stimulation by the hypothalamus or pituitary gland. Uh, perhaps it's due to medication. Um, so sometimes it's related to lithium or cold and sinus medication as well. Um, you might be uh, deficient in iodine, um, which is um, quite common in the Western world. And, and that's one of the reasons behind this high predominance of um, thyroid conditions within our sort of Western world, hence, you know, the US, the UK, parts of Europe. Um, and there might be other nutrient deficiencies, including iron and selenium. And the reason that these deficiencies are so important is these these are the nutrients that that really are the building blocks of the um, the hormones that we need. And if we don't have enough of those building blocks, then we won't make the hormones in the right um, quantity and sufficiency. So that's what's potentially, you know, the underlying reasons for the hypo function. Um, and the hypo is the slowing down of everything. And then the opposite of that, the hyper function. So that's when everything's speeding up. So um, there are... A number of reasons, but we'll just go into a, a couple of them. So there's the thyroid might be hyperstimulated, and that might be due to um, a goiter or, a, or which has hyperfunctioning uh, nodules. But there could be other causes. It could be inflammation of the thyroid. It could be due to some medication. So perhaps um, you know if the thyroxine uh, medication is is too much for what you need it could be linked to cancerous growth uh, and all of these things can result in excess thyroid hormone production and secretion so um and that's really you know quite a serious condition you'll probably be getting quite severe symptoms and you will need medical diagnosis so if, if you're worried about that you, you really need to talk to your medical professional um so, Karen, can we talk about some of these signs and symptoms now um, so that people can get some signposts? 
Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. Before, but, but just before we do that, I just wanted to mention that the stress of intense training is also thought to affect thyroid function. Um, and there was a small study that I was reading that suggested that intense and intensive training does lead to changes in pituitary and thyroid function. But what it went on to say was that the changes tend to be um, minor with the potential for adaptation to the to the training load going forward. So so naturally, what it's saying is that naturally um, um, our hormone levels, our thyroid hormone levels may may change due to the training. And also, um, it's thought that high endurance sports compared to other forms of exercise, um, tend to impact the thyroid the most um, as they are the ones that tend to require a well-balanced thyroid um, the most. And it's been shown that in the minutes and hours after, say, a marathon, so that real endurance sport, that TSH, T4 and reversed T3 that we were speaking about earlier, those levels usually increase but they tend to then return to normal levels one to four days after exercise. So it's like it's a transient change and then it returns to normal again. So so I thought that was just quite interesting information that our training alone could have an effect. But anyway, just moving on and thinking about the symptoms, um, Aileen, clearly they will depend on whether the dysfunction is caused by the hypersecretion of the thyroid hormones or the hyposecretion of the hormones. So thinking about the hypersecretion first. So symptoms that you would want to look out for are um, things like weight loss. And this is weight loss despite an increased appetite because uh, th- that metabolic rate and metabolism generally is going to be speeding up. So you're going to feel so much more hungry, but then I suppose you're using up so much more energy that that weight loss is still happening. It can also lead to palpitations, again, because everything is overworking. Also heat intolerance, um, um, insomnia, and um, people can also experience tremor, loose stools, and um, muscle weakness. Now, the more severe symptoms that can occur, and this is, comes under the umbrella of what they call the thyroid storm, and this includes a rapid heartbeat, irregular rate and rhythm of the heartbeat, and also a fever going alongside that. And that's just some of the more severe symptoms. There are others. And then the opposite, so thinking about that hyposecretion of the thyroid hormones. Um, again, there's there's the weight gain that you were speaking about earlier, Aileen. There's still fatigue, so that's similar. Um, I think there's there's also a lot of fatigue with the hyper. I didn't mention that, but but um, fatigue with the hyper uh, stimulation, but also the hypo. Also, muscle pain and weakness, low mood and depression can be very apparent. Um, impaired sleep, cold intolerance, which was what you were speaking about, Aileen, and also constipation, dry skin and hair loss tend to be the key symptoms to to be observing for, I would say. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, some of those hyper um, symptoms 
and I sort of they're a bit you know they're, they're connected to other things as well and sometimes we don't always like think yeah it's to do with the the thyroid because there could be other reasons for them so it's interesting to um to know that um so we've we've established some causes of thyroid dysfunction and, and Karen thanks for highlighting the signs and symptoms but what about the impact of dysfunction on running performance so you know Perhaps somebody knows that they've got these conditions um, and they're noticing that maybe the running performance is changing. What what can you tell us, Karen? Yeah, so so really for runners and athletes in general, really, these symptoms of suboptimal thyroid function could really negatively impact their ability to train effectively and actually compete in um competition and or recover recover efficiently so they might find that the recovery is much slower um following especially that endurance training or um recovering from a race but also it could impact on their ability to carry out intensive training and or that long duration training as well so those are really key areas but and and generalized um um, areas really, but looking at hypothyroidism um, more specifically, if that is a, a concern, then it may impact a runner due to what's known as bradycardia. So that's a, a low heart rate, and this can lead to decreased exercise tolerance and that overall athletic performance. But also, there's the muscle weakness that we spoke about as a, as a symptom, and this really is thought to be linked to um, decreased protein turnover and that impaired carbohydrate metabolism that the that we mentioned earlier, Aerline, but also that the poor muscle contraction and relaxation leading again to overall poor performance, but also poor recovery and also increasing the risk of injury. And and this sort of poor muscle contraction relaxation appears to be caused by that muscle, that muscle weakness. And, um, and the other th- way that it, it could affect um, runners is um, increasing the risk of fracture, again, due to p- poor bone turnover and um, reduced bone mineral density that we spoke about earlier. And that reduced submaximal exercise capacity. So just um, running so, so that um, submaximal running is when you're running without too much effort. And this um, reduced submaximal exercise capacity appears to be associated with iron deficiency and that iron deficiency's impact on the thyroid gland. And like you were saying, Aileen, iron is really key for that production of the, the, the T4 um, hormone. But Eileen, I think I've said enough. Um, so, so do you maybe want to take us through the impact of hyperthyroidism on running performance? Yeah, sure. So um, there's, there's quite a lot of information here about athletes presenting with hyperthyroidism and, and that may also have associated medical complications, uh, which are unique to this population. So. Um, for instance, increased basal metabolic rate. So that may lead to 
heat-related illnesses due to ox- increased oxygen consumption and heat production. And, and that is a, a, the same process is also thought to lead to quite um, a serious um, health condition, in fact, a life-threatening health condition um, called, this is a long one, rhabdomyolysis, uh, which, um, you know, is something that probably people don't know about. But it's um, what happens is that um, mus- there's muscle breakdown and muscle death. And that, um, you know, is a result of depleted muscle energy stores. And it's very rare, um, but it's interesting to know it's a similar um, process that leads to that. And then something that people will have heard of, I'm sure, is um, atrial fibrillation. So that's rapid and irregular heart rate and something called atrial flutter. And that's where there's a short circuit in the heart, um, which causes the upper chambers, the atria to pump very rapidly. And, um, you know, that's, you know, both of those are quite concerning, especially as they could increase the the risk of a stroke, Um, particularly because this population group may not present with an overt fast heartbeat uh, because they're well conditioned uh, and um, they would also have um, probably a a low uh, resting uh, heartbeat, a slow resting heartbeat. Um, Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, Aileen, because I think what what that's kind of saying is that, um, you know, a well-trained, well-conditioned athlete is going to have such a low um, um, heart rate or say pulse for easiness that if they've got tachycardia it might not be noticed because it's not going to go extremely high it might come up to what be, would be somebody else's normal so it might be um, it might not be overt but it's a tachycardia for them if that makes sense yeah, and I think that's why you you know you hear these you know shocking stories from time to time of uh, really well trained, highly performing athletes who suddenly you know have a, some kind of heart attack or something like that that yeah. is related to this, isn't it? So you know that's uh, what's going on with them, and it's been sort of um, undetected. Absolutely. Yeah. And then other sort of concerns for a runner and, uh, you know, any athlete generally would would include uh, muscle weakness um, due to an overall loss in muscle mass due to that muscle fibre breakdown. Um, there seems to be also a, a prevalence of um, frozen shoulder in this group, um, and that's uh, particularly with um, related to soft tissue injury, which uh, for a runner could take them away from training for a while and then linked to the things that you were talking about earlier Karen there is an increased risk of factor due to increased bone turnover um, and that um, you know is also you know, a major problem for these this sort of group of athletes and, and may re- also lead to a risk of osteoporosis uh, and reduced bone mineral density so yeah quite a few um concerns if you've got hypothyroidism so things that you need to be aware of really absolutely yeah Um, so Karen could we just I know there's so much to talk about on this subject and and we're sort of giving a bit of a broad brush here but I was wondering if, if there was any female factors that we should be considering Yes, actually, there are a couple um, that are probably worth mentioning, Aileen. And as we said at the beginning, you know, women are approximately five to five to 
I can't get my tongue around that, 5 to 10% more likely than men to develop a thyroid um, condition. So that's an interesting fact for um, for a female to consider. And also female runners um, and female athletes in general are known to be at higher risk of overtraining syndrome. So a subject, again, that we have discussed in, in a previous episode. Now, overtraining syndrome um, leads to is known to lead to amenorrhea, so that cessation of the of periods, and, and which is known to lead to thyroid dysfunction. So all interlinked there. Um, and also female athletes with hypothyroidism and that accompanying menstrual irregularities could potentially be suffering from uh, female athlete triad or the um, relative energy deficiency in sport. And again, disordered eating goes alongside that um, on the hypothyroidism and and um, menstrual dysfunction. Um, and, and all of these together would really help with, with diagnosing it. So, so if somebody's suffering with symptoms of hypothyroidism, they've got the menstrual dysfunction and there's the disordered eating alongside that. It could be that FAT or REDS, is the is the underlying issue and again these issues are generally driven by chronically poor energy status now again I'm speaking about it from a female athlete point of view because it is still seen that they are um they are predominant in in suffering from um, FAT and REDS, but um, you know I am aware that this does occur in male athletes as well. So, so those are just a, a, a few of of the potential female factors um, to consider. So, just moving on, Aileen, you know we've we've now established the various causes of thyroid dysfunction as well as some of the symptoms to be aware of depending on whether hyper or hypo function is the concern. We've also outlined several different ways in which thyroid dysfunction could affect running performance, sort of linked to to bone, to muscle, but also to um, to the heart and cardiac function. So now I think we'll move on and look at some um, nutrition and lifestyle factors to support thyroid health. But before we do that, Aileen, shall we just take a quick advert break? Yeah, of course. So this is the moment in the episodes where Karen and I take a, a minute to uh, talk to you about what we do outside of, of the podcast. Uh, and as you all know, Karen and I, just like you, we're busy working women, uh, very busy at times. And we run for health, fitness, achievement and fun. Um, but over the years, we've had our own personal running performance struggles. And even with our nutritional expertise uh, we've had our challenges um, but we we've worked to resolve those struggles with making sure that we've got a foundational everyday healthy eating plan and we fine-tune it with sports nutrition principles to maximize our running performance and minimize injury and um, and what we did was we turned our food plans into our online program which is easy nutrition for healthy runners and, and we'd like to share that with as many of you as possible uh, so it's a short and sweet video program which you can complete in 30 minutes a day over two weeks um, or you can take as long as you need to uh, some of our clients like to uh, spread it out and take longer but if you if you're on the fast track you can do it in two weeks 
So if you've been listening today and you think you'd like to know more about how to apply both everyday nutrition alongside sports-specific nutrition, we think this program's an ideal place to start and it gives you lots of easy information and especially easy action steps too. So if you're interested, uh, you can take a look at our website, runnershealthhub.com, look at the top menu bar, uh, find the online program. And if you've got any questions about the program, drop us an email at hello at runnershealthhub.com. Um, we, we really want to say thank you to you as being one of our listeners, one of our valued listeners. And so we've got a special offer for you. Um, if you're interested in purchasing the program, we have a coupon code that you can use to get a special discount. So all you need to do is go to the shopping cart and put the coupon code PODING, so that's P-O-D, to get a 33% discount off the full price. And that brings the programme price down to £199. And we'll also put a link in our show notes too and in our blog. So if you uh, if you want to uh, get that discount, that's where you can find it. Great. Thanks, Aileen. So now let's move on and consider some nutrition interventions to support our thyroid health. So I think most people will be aware of the medical approach to thyroid thyroid dysfunction. So generally it is the synthetic levothyroxine medication that I mentioned earlier. And people, once they're put on that, tend to be put on it for life um, for individuals with underactive thyroid function. And then sort of radioactive thyroid treatment or surgery tends to be the treatment of choice um, if it's um, overactive thyroid that is an issue. Um, but interestingly, in recent years, there has been some controversy. I find this really interesting. And um, there's been some controversy in the athletic world around the use of levothyroxine as a potential performance enhancing drug. Now, it was apparently being given to athletes in the belief that it would help maintain low body weight, which, as we all know, could actually support performance. But certainly at the moment, it's not on the WADA. So that's the World Anti-Doping um, Agency. It's not on their banned list um, as they currently don't view it as giving a performance advantage. So I think it was the US Anti-Doping um, Association that were trying to lobby WADA to make it, um, to put it on the list. But currently, um, WADA have said no, because they can't see how it can could be giving performance advantage. But watch the space. You know, I, I don't think it's on a watch list at the moment. Um, but it may be in the future. So I just thought that was an interesting piece of information. But anyway, Aileen, um, shall we move on and look at the, the potential nutrient interventions to consider for that, the thyroid support? Would you like to, to start, start us off with that? Yeah, let's look at hypofunction um, to begin with. And there are lots of things we can do here, um, which are great for an everyday uh, food plan, but it's especially for our thyroid. So uh, the first one is to think about introducing some sea vegetables, which might seem unusual, but it's quite an easy thing to do. Um, there's lots of dried sea, sea vegetables out there. Um, Clear Spring have a really good range. Um, they're my favourite. Um, you can get things like dried dulse, nori, uh, wakami, lots of um, seaweed mixes. So lots of different things that are in, in one packet. 
Um, spirulina powder um, might be something you would consider. Um, sunfire, I love sunfire, this fresh sea asparagus. Um, think, um, you can find it everywhere now. It's really readily available. Um, and the reason that sea vegetables are important is that they've got a really um, good source of iodine. Um, we mentioned that earlier, which is really important for the production T4. So it doesn't have to be a difficult thing to do. One of the things I do is I have the seaweed sprinkle and I just put a teaspoon on my salad or vegetables. Mm. Um, you know, and if you do that regularly every day, um, you're going to be getting um, some good sources of, of iodine. Um, one of the other things that you can do is, um, you know, think about uh, your vegetables and the therapeutic vegetables. Um, which we're always talking about are the cruciferous, cruciferous vegetables. Um, but you may have heard that um, these vegetables contain goitrogens, and goitrogens are the natural substances in these vegetables, but they're known to compete with iodine for the up, for uptake by the thyroid. And, and what that means is if you... Um, if you've got, a, if you're eating a lot of these cruciferous vegetables, then um, you might find that this results in a reduction in the availability of iodine for T4 production. But you can get around this. So you don't have to give up your cruciferous vegetables. All you need to do is lightly cook them, lightly steam them, and that will deactivate the goitrogens. Um, but if you've got a, a thyroid condition, you might want to consider not eating these cruciferous vegetables raw um you know there's, there's lots of people will have things like kale smoothies without realizing that you know that might be not the best thing to do um but if you had your kale lightly steamed as part of a salad or a vegetable dish you're still going to get all the benefits without affecting the thyroid so i think that's an important message um, the other thing that you can think about doing is increase your intake of iron-rich foods daily uh, we've got an episode on um, iron. I can't remember what number it is, Karen, but I'll certainly put it in the uh, in the show notes. Um, and we talk about um, how important iron is and lots of different ways that you can uh, introduce it into your food plan. Um, but just quick headlines of some examples. So things like um, kelp, nuts and seeds, green leafy vegetables, so things like spinach, parsley, beetroot greens, Swiss chard, all of those vegetables will, will help you um, promote your um, your iron content of your food plan. Um, iron's required in the enzyme activity of T4 production. Um, and um, just a, another note, um, you know, that there can be um, – good ways to uh, prepare these sort of iron-rich vegetables. So if you lightly cook or blanch the vegetables before eating, that's going to help um, deactivate the phytates, which are known to reduce iron absorption. Uh, and additionally, doing things like soaking nuts and seeds before you eat them will help neutralize their phytate activity. Uh, and the phytates are the inhibitors, and uh, you don't want to have those sort of if you're going to go to all the trouble of eating these iron-rich vegetables, you want to maximise the amount of iron um, that you can absorb. Um, so other things that you can think about are introducing foods rich in B vitamins, uh, vitamin C-rich foods, and foods um, rich in selenium. So the B vitamins, uh, they're required for the production of thyroid hormones um, and examples, you know, the everyday examples are whole grains, nuts and seeds, uh, leafy green vegetables, protein-rich foods all contain B vitamins. And then if you eat the 
uh, vitamin C rich foods alongside your iron rich foods, that's also going to help increase the absorption of iron. So things like bell peppers, all the cruciferous vegetables we mentioned earlier, um, plus things like watercress, strawberries and papaya, they're all very high vitamin C and all, all nice and delicious too. And then finally, thinking about selenium. So this is quite an important one. Um, so the thyroid um, is the organ in the body that has the highest concentration of selenium. Uh, and the selenium is a mineral that plays a key role in the thyroid gland's ability to produce thyroid hormone. Um, so it is important that we, we're getting the right amount of selenium in our food plan. Um, easy ways to do that are in to include things like Brazil nuts, um, but you know, don't overeat them. So, you know, two to three a day would be enough. Um, meat, fish, poultry, eggs are all good sources of selenium. Um, and again, this is an interesting sort of theory, but it's thought because the the quality of our soil is reducing, that there isn't a lot of selenium um, in the soil. And that means that the plants aren't uptaking selenium. So the selenium content in our food in the food chain not might not be so high this is another sort of one of those big world reasons that we might be um, suffering from thyroid problems um, so it's it's important that you take care of that and you, you make sure that you're eating selenium rich foods um, so that's quite a lot of things Karen <laughs> yes but like you say you know I think hypothyroidism does appear to be more common in society and suboptimal, I think, thyroid function, um, uh, suboptimal or subclinical hypothyroidism tends to be quite prevalent mm. and might not be clinically diagnosed, but there is this sort of reduced functioning um, of the thyroid gland. So I think that's some really good uh, ideas for people to go forward with to support that. Great. So could you, Karen, take us through some nutrition that would support hyperfunction? Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. I think we kind of um, outlined this briefly earlier in that, you know, with hyperfunctioning of the thyroid gland, generally intervention is necessary. Medical intervention in some way um, is necessary. But there are, I think, some nutrition and lifestyle factors that could be introduced to maybe help limit the effects of that thyroid overstimulation. And thinking here of um, things like limiting caffeine intake, because caffeine is a stimulant and it is known to stimulate the thyroid gland. And it, 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 I know somebody who's got hyperthyroidism and you know, even through their GP in the hospital, they've been told to limit their caffeine intake just because of how it stimulates the thyroid gland. But also um, thinking about the iodine content of food, so limiting the um, iodine-containing foods, such as the ones that you spoke about earlier, Aileen. And um, not so much in the UK, but, but in the States, um, a lot of food, different foods are iodized, um, especially salt. So maybe if you are listening to us in the States or in any other countries where um, the salt is iodized, trying to uh, avoid 
um, that type of salt and get the non-iodized uh, varieties and any other foods that are fortified with iodine, because I believe in the States they do fortify more foods with it than we do here in the UK. Um, and also sort of food preservatives may contain iodine as well. So best to try and avoid any any additives or preservatives in food. And then, uh, like you were speaking, Aileen, about the selenium, uh, just limiting the selenium-rich foods such as the meat, the fish, the poultry and the eggs. And interestingly, um, another article I was reading recently suggested a vegetarian uh, or vegan diet could be supportive and because it was reported in this study, which was the Adventist Health Study 2, so the second study there, um, they observed that hyperthyroid prevalence was 52% lower in vegans than in omnivores and 35% lower in vegetarians compared to omnivores sort of suggesting that limiting the meats, the fish, the poultry, etc., may be supportive in, in, you know, for somebody who's maybe got subclinical hyperthyroidism, that might actually be supportive. Yeah, and just that, another observation, Karen, that I've noticed with, with some of my clients is that, you know, you, you may have been diagnosed with hyperthyroidism and had medical treatment and then a number of years later you move into a hypothyroidism state mm -hmm. and so I think you know it's worth knowing that that may be happening um, and to talk about talk about that to your medical practitioner because you know once you've moved into that hypo maybe then adding in the things that we talked about earlier would be supported for your long-term health. So just because you've been diagnosed at one stage in your life doesn't mean to say that you're going to stay that forever. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good point. Okay, and um, a few lifestyle factors um, to talk about now, Karen, just before we, we sort of round up. Um, so, you know, again, they're all general things, but Really will really help you so make sure that you're getting sufficient sleep so you know a good seven to nine hours per night will really help you manage your exercise load so it's not too intensive as you said earlier uh, managing stress because this is being closely linked to thyroid function as well as adrenal function um, and um, finally thinking about limiting your exposure to toxins um, so for example um, there, there might be mercury in dental amalgams, which is thought to be a risk factor for autoimmune thyroiditis. Um, so that Hashimoto's um, and also um, the food and ad additives and preservatives uh, to be taken into consideration there too. So, um, yeah, lots of things to consider. Um, mm -hmm. You know, don't don't suffer alone. Reach out for help to a medical practitioner or, or perhaps a, a nutritionist that specialises in thyroid help would be really helpful. So, just before we um, we finish, Karen, we're at the key takeaways time. So, could you round up the key takeaways from today's episode? 
Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. So just as as a reminder to everyone that the thyroid is a a butterfly-shaped endocrine gland that just sits at the front of the neck below our Adam's apple, and it produces and secretes the two different hormones that we've spoken about, thyroxine or T4, and triiodothyronine, um, known as T3. And the thyroid hormones have lots of different functions, but the ones that may directly or indirectly affect uh, a runner and the running performance include metabolic rate and energy expenditure, bone health and cardiac and muscle function. And then um, thyroid dysfunction is really when the thyroid gland releases an inappropriate level of thyroid hormone. Now, that could either be too much, known as the hyperthyroidism, or too little, um, known as the hypothyroidism. Now, hyperthyroidism may present with symptoms including weight loss, despite that increase in, in appetite, also palpitations, heat intolerance, insomnia, and muscle weakness. And then the hypothyroidism may present with um, symptoms including weight gain, fatigue, muscle pain and weakness, low mood and depression, and also hair loss. And for a runner, thyroid dysfunction could lead to poor training, poor recovery from training, an inability to carry out intensive training and or long duration training and also uh, potentially lead to an increased risk of a stress fracture and muscle damage. But a runner can support thyroid health by introducing some nutritional and lifestyle principles into their daily life, including an appropriate amount of the key nutrients such as iron, selenium and iodine, limiting intake of animal foods potentially, and also limiting caffeine intake and managing stress and exercise load. And I think those would be the key ones for today, oh, thanks again, Karen. It's been really uh, a fascinating uh, topic. It's been really enjoyable to discuss it, and hopefully, we've helped lots of people think about the thyroid health and how it how it can affect the running and how they can support themselves going forward. So, remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device and this is a unique safety feature. 
All amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at AmazingJane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.